Eagle Vision's production of Taken, the podcast, deals with mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. We are all here today, gathered for such a momentous, historic event. Yes, at times it will be certainly solemn, for we gather here for a very important reason, a very important reality of life, and that is to seek the justice, give the justice, and honor our women, our women and girls that are missing, our women and girls that are murdered, and to stop this national tragedy and disgrace. Elder Claudette Commanda's opening prayer launched Canada's national inquiry into missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls in Ottawa on August 3, 2016. The inquiry ended in June of 2019, sharing over 230 calls for justice. Shortly after, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau accepted the findings of the inquiry, including that what happened amounts to genocide. Some accounts have the number of the missing and murdered to be in the thousands and growing each day. As this issue is probed and truths emerge, the world watches. Each of these women, each of these girls had a family, had goals, had a life that was taken too soon. On the night before Valentine's Day, February 13, 1992, Sandra Johnson became one of them. Sandra's naked body was found murdered on the frozen Nibing McIntyre floodway after last having been seen by her sister the night before. Sandra was 18 years old. Sandra was a powwow princess from a loving family on the Seine River First Nation in Ontario. Like any teenager, she was trying to figure out her life when it was cut short. She was heading from home out into the night. Hours later, Sandra was dead. At any time during this podcast or afterward, if you have any information that might help solve the case of the murder of Sandra Johnson, visit our website. Someone out there has answers. Our goal is to find them. How could a young girl be killed so brutally and suddenly? Could Sandra's murder have been prevented? Who was the person or people who committed the crime? This is Sandra's story. Sandra Johnson grew up surrounded by culture and her family on the Seine River First Nation. Her heart beat to the sound of the drum and she loved to dance. Sandra's sister Sharon Johnson was older and didn't spend much time with Sandra when they were kids. But when Sandra grew up, they became very close. The night she was murdered, Sharon had a gut feeling that her sister was in danger. She was hanging out with the wrong crowd. I was worried, sick about her, worried that she was gone and hanging out with these people. And then they showed up at my apartment the evening of uh, February the 12th. She comes walking in and with all these people at the door and she's asking me, is it okay, you know, is it okay if we come in and have a drink, you know? I said, okay, if we bring in this case of beer, 
I just didn't like her hanging out with them. And I guess without me saying anything, uh, she just knew. Sharon's worry about her baby sister grew when a simple accident, dropping a mug, pushed Sandra into a deep sadness. She dropped it and uh, just slipped out of her hand and it just smashed all over the floor. And, uh, and I just kind of stopped and stopped what I was doing and she got really upset, you know. It's like she was just ready to break down. She seemed really sad. She went into the bathroom and uh, she didn't come back out. I was wondering what was taking her so long. I knocked on the door lightly and I opened it and and she was just sitting there with her head down. She, I knew there was something really bothering her, but I didn't know what really. I couldn't talk to her. I wish I could have just told her, you know, it's not that bad. It's not a big deal. <laughs> After a while, they, uh, they all got ready to leave and uh, they said they were going to the bar and they were going to um, this bar called the Pacific Club. Retired Deputy Chief Andy Hay was with the Thunder Bay Police Service for 32 years. He and his team gathered the evidence for Sandra Johnson's case. Twelfth, Sandra had been partying at a friend's house in the East End for a while, and she ended up at the Pacific Club in the south end of the city, in the south downtown core. The Pacific Club is, uh, was a popular spot for young people. It was a dance club. Um, we do know that at approximately 12.30 that night, which would have been now the 13th of February, that she was asked to leave the dance club because she was underage. She had been drinking and she had made her way home to the address on May Street where her sister and uh, her family resided with her. That cold night in Thunder Bay, Sandra made it home, but she didn't stay for long. She was pretty out of it. She had on her glasses and there was, she must have fallen. She must have fallen outside or something before she came in because there was like snow inside her glasses and she was trying to, she was trying to see, you know, she was trying to focus and she was taking off her glasses and trying to clean off the snow. And I got really worried. I was like, you know, what's Sandy? I said, you got to stay home now. And I was like begging her, just stay home now. But Sandra wouldn't listen and left the house again, despite Sharon's efforts to stop her. And I even tried to block her away, you know, tried to block her from, stop her from going out. Tried to hold, stand against the door, and she was just like, no, no, let me go, you know, like, can't keep me here. But I couldn't keep her in, and, and then she, she went back out. And then my, uh, my partner, he said to me, he said, he said, well, he said, aren't you going to stop her? He said, he said, you'll never forgive yourself if something happens to her. And I told him, I said, I said, I can't. I said, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to stop her. Sandra came back a little while later. It was the last time she would be home, the last time she was seen alive. I heard my door opening and, uh, and she came to stand behind me. <laughs> She had a $50 bill in her hand, and she said, she was there, and she said, this is, uh, this is all I have left. She said, she said can you uh, hang on to it for me? She put that $50 bill in my hand. 
And then, uh, then she went back out. This time, Sharon didn't try to stop her. Sandra's body was found the next morning. She was found um, face down on the snow. See, it had snowed that night. And uh, she was partially covered in snow, her naked body. Beyond the state of Sandra's body when she was discovered, as Thunder Bay's retired deputy police chief shares, there are few clues to go on. Sandra was found on the ice. Um, she was unclothed. Um, she had some signs of trauma to her body, and she was deceased, and that's basically all we have right now on the discovery of her. How could a girl who was loved by many become so lost? Could negligence or corruption have played a part in her investigation? With nearly 30 years past, is there any hope for justice for Sandra Johnson? For more information, if you have any answers, visit our website. In the early morning of February 13, 1992, 18-year-old Sandra Johnson was found on the frozen Niebing McIntyre floodway in Thunder Bay, Ontario, naked, brutalized, and beaten to death. How could this popular teenage girl who was so full of life end up dead? From the time she was a little girl, Sandra loved to dance powwow. E.J. Quandabins remembers his special friend, Sandy. She was always bubbly, laughing, very playful, loved to dance. She was an amazing shawl dancer. And her speed and her, and her footwork was just um, phenomenal. Sandra danced for years, traveling with her family to powwows in the United States and eventually learning to beat her own regalia, the special traditional clothes she wore for dancing. As Sandra's sister Sharon Johnson remembers, their father began to put on prince and princess pageants at the powwows in their home community of St. River First Nation. Uh, Sandra was uh, the first mini princess. I think she won the mini princess pageant. She took that title for a few years until she outgrew all the categories. And <laughs> As Sandra grew up, her love of dance never stopped. We were sitting on the back steps. She gets up and she starts dancing on the grass and just spinning around, you know, And because uh, she was a fancy shawl dancer. And at the time, I thought, geez, you know, that's kind of silly, you know, like she's blasting her power music. And then she said to me, after she was done dancing, she said, Sharon, she said, I wish you would dance with me. Later in Sandra's teens, as the opportunities to compete in powwows diminished, Sandra danced less and started drinking. Sharon doesn't know the exact circumstances, but she does know that Sandra went into a treatment program. When Sandra left the program, she went to Sharon's. But when she showed up at my door, uh, she talked about how she wanted to get back into school. She wanted to look for a part-time job. So she was looking to, you know, um, to do something more, like to do something with, with herself, with her time being in Thunder Bay. As E.J. Quandabins recalls, Sandra joined her brother's band as a drummer. And she was good. I mean, she, she you know, she was rusty in the beginning, like, like most people are in the beginning, but she, she had a skill. 
She had um, the ability to really to hit those drums and to be on beat and really jam it out with her brothers. And it was, it was, it was great to see. Things were looking up for Sandra, but at times she still seemed unhappy as she was trying to figure out her life like any normal teenage girl. Her life was taken. Neither her loved ones nor law enforcement knows why, as retired Thunder Bay Police Deputy Chief Andy Hay shares. Investigation has been a very difficult investigation. It's it's an open file. Um, we really don't have a lot of information of when she left the house until she was located on the on the floodway. Um, what happened during the, that time period is still unknown. Violence against Indigenous women has a lengthy history. That Anna Betty Achnipanashkam, Deputy Chief of the Anishinaabe-Asking Nation, grew up hearing stories about. That any time my grandfather saw a boat that um, he didn't recognize, he would gather my mom and you know her sisters and any other female that was in um, the camp, and he would go and hide them in the bush because she said there was many women who were, who would be abducted by, you know, the travelers, whether they were prospectors or traders or surveyors. The woman would be raped by these men. Sandra's friend EJ wasn't able to protect her, even though he cared for her since they were kids. At 10 years old, I mean, it's just, it's just crush. It's just silly crush, right? You know, becoming a you know a teenager, it, it it it's more than that. You start looking at you know. Well, first of all, she was absolutely beautiful. You know, and she just had this flawless skin and just this perfect smile, and this spirit about her that was just so free, just so um, positive. She was just so I don't know. I think everybody could relate to someone in their life growing up that gave them butterflies. Because of EJ's close connection to Sandra, he was on the police radar and was investigated. There were many people that were investigated and questioned. Um, I was one of them. Um, and you know, as part of the whole investigative process, you have to investigate anybody and everybody that maybe knew Sandy directly or indirectly. I think the Thunder Bay Police Department could have done a hell of a lot better job in the investigation process. And I think there are some hidden skeletons uh, within that department that needs to be investigated themselves. An arrest was made in April 1992, but as retired Deputy Chief Hay shares, the charges didn't stick gentleman that was arrested in 1992 with regard to Sandra's death. Charge went to preliminary hearing. The charge was based upon evidence that was given by a witness. That evidence was found to be not credible, and that person uh, was not put to trial on, on that matter. Sandra's murderer is still at large, which weighs heavily on the community. Called for the community to think that there's a person or persons out there that are responsible for that crime that have not been captured, have not been brought to justice, because it also speaks to the level of public safety within your community. So it is, it is devastating to, for a community to have a crime like that occur and not, not have it resolved. Sandra Johnson was a role model to the girls in her community. She was loved by family and friends. 
What is being done now to keep Sandra's memory alive and to protect girls like her from the same fate? On February 12, 1992, Sandra Kate Johnson was just 18 years old living in Thunder Bay, Ontario, thinking about her education and going out with friends. The next day, her body was found on the frozen Neebing McIntyre floodway. What happened to Sandra Johnson? If you have any answers or want more information, visit our website. Sandra's loved ones, her friend E.J. Quandabins, and her sister Sharon Johnson remember her dancing, singing, playing the drums, and having fun. Free spirit. She was fun to be around. Loved to laugh and explore life. She loved music. She loved uh, singing. EJ remembers the last time he made plans with Sandra. Thunder Bay, at that time, there were um, alcohol drug-free events for the, the Aboriginal population in, in Thunder Bay. And, and um, <clears throat> so I had asked her if she wanted to, to, to join me and uh, she had agreed. And she was very excited and I was very excited. So I, uh, I waited. But she never did show up to the dance. And so I, I left the dance and um, that was that. I never heard from Sandy uh, thereafter. So her body was um, um, discovered um, two days later. EJ will never forget how he felt when he received the devastating news that Sandra was murdered. They found Sandy, like, and I'm like, oh, what was she? And, and then it was like this dead silence. And it was, um, and we just kept saying, what, what, what? what? And um, Loanne would say they, they found her body. Andy Hay, retired deputy chief of the Thunder Bay Police Service, feels the pressure of every unsolved case like Sandra's. When a case is unsolved, it's, it's more than just business, more than police business. There's a humanity side to it. You know, we live in this community. Um, we see the, we're not such a big community that we don't see the victims' families occasionally within the city. So it's, it's not big city policing. It's, uh, it's policing that has a human side to it. It's not just business for us. Having been touched by Sandra's case and the other stories of other missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls, community leaders like Deputy Chief of the Anishinaabe Aski Nation and Abedi Achenipanashkam have been motivated to action. Because she was a young girl and, you know, we were all talking about this. We became aware of it. And as mothers, you know, this is something that we uh, take to heart. Sandra's sister, Sharon, stays connected to her sister's spirit and honors other missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls with a Valentine's Day Memorial Walk and an annual full moon memory walk. I do ceremony before, before we go out and walk. I'll make the two spirit dishes, one for one for the women, the spirits of the women, and one for us. And uh, go out into the bush, make a, just a small fire, just a small fire, just enough to burn the, the spirit dish. I say a prayer and ask the 
the spirits of the women to to walk with us and to help us to work together in a good way and just to honor the lives. Deputy Grand Chief Anna Betty Achnipanashkam is encouraged by Sandra's family raising awareness. Sandra Johnson is is one of many people who have been a victim of homicides. There's many homicides of our people here in the city. And we feel it's very important that her her family has continued to be quite active in raising awareness. And this encourages us and other family members to become active in terms of raising awareness. Because as I said, this affects many of us. Sandra's friend, EJ, is haunted by the violence with which she was killed. One thing that, that I think people don't get is when we talk about murdered Indigenous women, that we forget that this was a life. Sandy was a very small, framed girl. And when we went to her funeral, and I saw her in her coffin in her Pawa outfit, her head was three and a half times as big as her normal size. That tells you the extent of how brutally murdered she was. The only thing that, that, that actually helped me to recognize Sandy was her black satin shawl outfit that she was wearing in her coffin. EJ urges everyone to re-examine their perception of missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. We really need to start looking at how we view these numbers and how we have to remember that these are people, that these are someone's daughters and someone's, someone's child or grandchild or partner or whatnot. We become desensitized. We, we lose the ability to, to view that this was a person. Sandra's sister Sharon wishes for resolution for all of the loved ones left behind. For all the families out there that are, that are feeling that don't have the answers, that don't have answers as to what happened to their, you know, to their sisters, mothers, aunts, whoever she was to them. Now, you know, it's my hope that, that one day we'll all, we'll all find that peace in our hearts. If you have any information that might help solve the case of the murder of Sandra Johnson, visit our website. The next episode of The Taken Podcast brings us to a high rise in the Toronto suburb of North York. Beautiful 20-year-old Cheyenne Fox was believed to be trafficked. She went to a condo in a high rise where she plunged to her death from the 24th floor. Police were quick to deem Cheyenne's death a suicide. Cheyenne's family does not accept that and has been fighting since that night in 2013 for justice to be served in her case and to keep her memory alive. For more information about the Taken series, resources, or to share information or tips you may have about any of these cases, visit our website at takentheseries.com or download the free Taken Knowledge Keeper app for iOS or Android. Taken, the podcast, Sandra Johnson, was written by Jackie Black and Rebecca Gibson. 
It was produced by Hannah Johnson, Tyson Karen, Linda Nelson, Norm Lussier, and Martin Davis Kinnack. Executive produced by Kyle Irving and Rebecca Gibson, and hosted by executive producer Lisa Meaches. Taken, the podcast was produced by Eagle Vision in 2020. For a full list of credits, visit our website. To watch full episodes of Taken, the television series, visit aptn.ca. Funding for Taken, the podcast provided by the Government of Canada through Women and Gender Equality Canada.